Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com, the no-fluff actionable marketing podcast for marketers, founders, and tech people who are just sick of shady, aggressive marketing. I'm your host, Louis Grenier. In today's episode, you will learn how to make an impact and build trust in the first 90 days as a marketer, and also, obviously, after that. But as we'll show in this episode, the first 90 days are quite important. My guest today has been on the show before. It's actually the first time I'm having someone for the second time. And remember, she talked about jobs to be done. And if I remember well, you love this episode. I say you listening to this podcast. And that's the power of creating content. You connect with good people and you make friends. So my guest today is helping SaaS companies to figure out their next marketing move and create growth. She's the co-founder of Forget the Funnel, a weekly series of free 30-minute workshops to help marketers get out of the weeds, think strategically, and be more effective leaders. So my guest today, I think, has a lot of knowledge on how to prove yourself as a marketer, how to talk to your CEO and to your boss and leaders. I'm super happy to have Claire Sullentrop on board again. Claire, welcome. Louis, it is so nice to be here, especially for a second time. It's quite an honor. Uh, so let's be honest with people listening right now. We have actually came up with the theme of this episode literally five minutes ago. We were <laughs> planning on publishing on talking about something completely different, but we like to improvise. So before going into the topic, which is to prove yourself as a marketer, especially when you get started and build trust with CEOs that usually believe marketing is full of fluff and a lot of bullshit, how does it feel to be famous since your first appearance on Everyone's <laughs> Marketers? Well, I think fame is really subjective. Uh, if anything, you could consider me like micro, 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 micro niche famous. <laughs> um, but even that is nice. You know, it's, I think what you said a moment ago really applies when you create content, you happen to make friends. Um, and that's, that's really what this feels like more than anything, anything like true fame. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. You're way too kind. So going back to the problem there, I started a, a marketing role two years ago. Um, I started a, a marketing role like five years ago where I completely fucked up. Uh, multiple occasions. And I know this is a problem that listeners suffer from. Recently, I received a LinkedIn message from a listener in Australia who said, I use your podcast to prove to my CEO that all of the stuff he's trying to do is bullshit and he needs to go back to, to the basics. And he's, he's into like the get rich quick type of, uh, mm -hmm. type of growth hacks. This is exactly, exactly how she wrote it. So uh, why do you think there is such a problem between marketers in one hand and their CEOs or their leaders on, on another when it comes to aligning themselves? You know, of course, it's going to be different within every company, but there are a couple of themes that I see over and over. And my co-founder in Forget the Funnel, uh, Georgiana Lodi, also has seen, um, she, and I, she and I have both served as uh, marketing leaders within SaaS companies. And then uh, we both left our in-house roles around the same time and have continued to work with SaaS companies on a consulting basis. And so some of the things we see over and over are, first, it's very rare that the founder or founders of a SaaS company have much of a marketing background. You know, typically they are a uh, product-focused founder, right? So they're, they're really good at building product, or they're a subject matter expert in a particular industry. Either of those things, or, or having, having a founder who is either of those things is really useful, but that lack of understanding of the importance of marketing 
typically leads those early, early teams to deprioritize marketing, right? And so all the focus is on, let's build a great product and it'll be so amazing that once we launch it, everyone will just immediately flock to it, right? It's like the build it and they will come mindset. Um, so what they do is they build the product, they build the product, they build the product. Maybe they take funding, um, whatever the financial situation is. Eventually, the founders realize through pressure of investors or simply if they're, you know, if they're bootstrapping the product, they are and they're running out of cash. Um, either way, acquiring customers suddenly becomes this emergency, right? And they're like, okay, we've got this product, but nobody's using it and we need to get some money in here pretty quickly. And so it's at that point that they turn their attention to marketing. And suddenly marketing is this big emergency. Um, and by the way, at any point, jump in if you have seen similar or, or different scenarios. But, but then they, they're ready to hire this marketer. They don't know a lot about hiring a marketer. It would be like if you or I needed to hire an engineer, right? Like we, we think we know what makes someone a talented engineer, but there's so many details that we just aren't familiar with because that's not our day-to-day -day work. Uh, and so the founding team will, will bring on a marketer who, no matter what level they're experienced, whether they're junior level, whether they're mid-level, whatever it may be, they bring this person on and this person is under some major, major expectations. They have all this pressure to suddenly turn marketing into this acquisition machine. Um, and so they're under pressure, but the executive team who has brought them on may not be always granting them. They may be giving them accountability, right? They're held accountability. They're held accountable to hitting goals, but maybe they don't have the level of authority they need to make decisions and act really as a leader of a department. Um, so I would say that's, that's where a lot of the friction comes from. And the particular listener you mentioned who said, Hey, I, I'm, I'm using the podcast to convince my boss that all these, these shady growth hacks are a bad idea. Um, sounds like, it sounds like a similar scenario, maybe where the founders are like, shit. Oh, sorry. Can I, can I, yes. can I say better? It's okay. Keep, keep so can I swear on this podcast? Um, the founders are probably like, shit, we need to get some people in this product. And they've, you know, read about growth hacks and it seems like a good way to acquire customers quickly, but they don't realize the, com the, the complexity and, and the, the long-term work involved in marketing. And so now the marketer is not only responsible for numbers, they're also responsible for educating the founding team on what good marketing even looks like. Um, so I would say that's a major theme in how marketers end up in that tricky situation. Uh, and do you feel this is you know, similar in other industries? I know you specialize in SaaS, but I'm thinking e-commerce, for example, or services. Do you feel like this is a typical scenario that repeats itself? The CEO doesn't have a lot of marketing knowledge or a lot of subject matter expertise in one thing, but not necessarily marketing? Definitely. And, and while you're right that my focus is on the SaaS space um, or SaaS products, Gia and I, uh, in our Forget the Funnel workshop series, we have an intro email. We have a, a, you know, a welcome email, of course. So when someone signs up and wants to receive future workshops, they receive a little email that you know, acquaints them to, introduces them to us, points them to some past really successful workshops. One of them is yours, by the way. People love your workshop. Um, and then, of course, asks a question because we want to learn from, from our subscribers who they are and what their scenario is. And so we ask them to tell us a little bit about what was going on that led them to sign up. And multiple subscribers have replied and said, Hey, I don't work in SaaS, but everything that you teach is still really relevant. Maybe right. they work in e-commerce. Maybe they work in an agency. It could be another style of business. Um, but that lack of 
that lack of shared understanding about what marketing is between the marketing employee and the founders, I think spans many, many, many different types of business models. So let's consider the scenario that is, you know, I'm going to be hired as a marketer in the next few weeks and I want to prepare uh, the best possible so that when I get hired and when I get into those first few days, first few weeks, I can make an impact and I can be trusted. By just thinking of this scenario right now, I can think that actually your job doesn't start when you start the job, right? It seems like you need to prepare stuff. And it's actually funny because I had the, uh, the person who's now uh, head of growth for Bearmetrics who actually reached out to me before I started to ask about what, what, uh, how I should do stuff and whatever. And when I compare to my role, when I started at Hodjan and before in a previous startup, I remember how, in hindsight, I did so poorly in so many ways. Um, and so let's take the scenario that, you know, we are starting or we are about to start in a new job as a marketer. It doesn't really matter if we are first, the first marketer or not, although it could make a difference for you. So how do you, how would we advise people to get started um, step by step? What would be the first thing you would do uh, to really get your foot in the door and make an impact, be trusted and all of that? You know, the first thing that I would do, well, as a side note, there's like 15 things that come to mind, but I'll try to prioritize <laughs> to make this a bit more actionable. Uh, the first thing I would do is step back and look at the health of the business, not just in terms of standard metrics that marketing is usually responsible for, like traffic and leads generated and content receiving like the highest numbers of page views or conversion rates. I, I would look at the health of the business overall and I would try to put myself in the founder's shoes and think if I were the founder and I were responsible for growing this business, where are the gaps that I'm seeing? Whether they're related to marketing, I say that in quotations, um, marketing metrics or not. Um, I would really try to honestly pretend or, or empathize with the founder as if I was that person, right? Um, one of the, one of the, I think, best pieces of, or like best, best quotes I've ever seen in relation to marketing and, and being a career marketer is operate not as a marketer, but as a business owner who happens to know how to do marketing. And I think that really well speaks to not only how you should view the plans that you make, um, if you're, if you're leading marketing in a company or if you're leading a particular type of marketing within a larger department, it also helps you frame the conversations that you have with non-marketing team members, like the CEO or the founder or whoever it may be, um, because then you can speak with them about what the business's goals are versus, hey, marketing needs more leads. And so I need more budget. I need more advertising budget to drive those leads. Um, so pretending for a moment that you are a founder who's in charge of growing the business instead of a marketer who's in charge of increasing traffic or increasing leads or whatever it may be, um, is a really, really good first step. And something I wish I had learned a long, long, long time ago. Um, so how do you do that though? How do you be empathy for the founder? Um, a couple of things I would do. I think the first thing I would do, and this might be the most challenging if you are already in your role and you're, you're listening to this and, and, and trying to work backwards. But if you're in that perfect sweet spot scenario where you're just getting hired, um, the first thing I would do is sit down with the founder or the CEO and have a conversation about how the business is performing, 
at every stage of the customer's journey. And when I, when I say that, what I mean by that is sometimes ugh, this, this is going to be dependent on how your organization is set up. Um, some organizations track their key metrics, um, using like a pirate metrics model, like acquisition, activation, revenue, retention, referral. Um, my favorite scenario, uh, and one that Gia, my, my forget the funnel co-founder and I talk about a lot is, um, actually focusing your metrics on how, how your customer succeeds at every stage. So awareness and then interest and then engagement and, and so on and so on. But either way, whatever the setup of your company is, I would sit down with the founder and I would ask, Hey, how are we doing at every, every one of these stages? Like to you, whatever the founder's name, whatever your founder's name is to you, where do you think we're doing well? And where do you think we're not doing well? And why is that? Right? almost pretend you're coming on board as a co-founder, even if, even if your title is head of marketing or marketing manager, or even marketing coordinator, your ultimate, your ultimate job is to help the company make more money. So pretend for a moment you're a co-founder and, and feel comfortable having that high level conversation with the person who hired you. Um, because what they're ultimately looking for is someone who's thinking about the greater objectives of the business, not just marketing metrics. Um, so having that conversation and, and then really understanding, let's, I'm sure you've, I'm sure you've got some follow-up questions. Um, but having that conversation as early as possible in your tenure as an employee will help your boss build trust or will help build the, build your boss's trust, um, and help them feel confident that you're focusing not just on your little isolated metric, um, but on where the company's trying to go. Yeah, I concur. Uh, the other thing I would say as well is try to understand the context behind the company and even the story. Uh, that's what I have learned as well uh, in the past is like, yes, there are small details and small things, small decisions that are even big decisions that were taken in the past that might have an impact on your day to day, right? There might be, for example, a company that I've just always decided they were against SEO because they always felt that it was tricking Mm -hmm. Like they prefer to focus on people rather than tricking Google or tricking, you know, uh, they, they might have some based on their, their story. So you might have some small snippets of knowledge like that, that you can't, you, you can only infer by asking about the story. How did you, why did you actually found the business? How did it start? How did you get started? What was the story behind it? Ideally you ask that before you get hired. Mm -hmm. Um, and I wanted to add something else to what you said. So let's say you're hired, you talk to the founder, uh, I don't think there is any reason why they, you can't do that before, right? So if you really want to be hired as marketing head of marketing, uh, the CEO should probably spend a bit of time with you. So maybe you can do that before, which could help you to pick the right job if you get along with the mm -hmm. founder. Mm -hmm. the, the other thing I, I hinted about as, as well at the start was, um, I think if I start, if I was starting with a new company again as a marketer, the thing I would do is ask other marketers in similar roles, like how do, how, how do they think I should, uh, I should get started, but that's basically what I'm asking you. So, okay. Step one, talk to the founder, talk to the CEO, you get the story, you get the context and you also understand, uh, try to think like them as a founder, as a founder, uh, who is responsible for paying people wages and all of that. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But then what, what would you do then? So. The other, the, the next thing of the many things I would do, um, and you bring up a really good point that these are also in a, in a, in an even better scenario. These are things you would be doing during the interview process. Um, 
to figure out whether you really want to be a part of this company, right? And whether the skills that you have match with what the company needs and what the expectations are. Um, but the next thing that I would do is beyond forming that relationship with the founder or the CEO, the next thing I would do is seek to understand how do other leaders within the company think of marketing? So a good example uh, is if we speak in terms of, if we speak in SaaS terms again, there are low touch or self-serve SaaS products in which marketing is responsible for driving, you know, marketer, marketers are much more responsible for revenue in those scenarios. They're responsible for driving traffic. They're responsible for getting traffic to sign up for the product. They're responsible for getting new trials to convert. On the other hand, you have other products, more enterprise software products, where marketing's real role is kind of a relationship management role with sales, where the sales team is, is really who your your I'm using quotes, your client is, or the person you have to make happy at the end of the day. Um, so a marketer or a marketing leader who's at a self-serve SaaS company versus a marketing leader at a more enterprise SaaS company is going to be beholden to different expectations and metrics. Um, there's a there's an article somewhere out. I, I can't remember who wrote it now. I'll have to go find it and, and share it in the notes. Um, but there's a, a good article about this where in an enterprise SaaS company, if you're if you're the head of marketing, it's not really it's it, your metrics um, are not as related to revenue. They sort of are, but at the end of the day, your success is really determined by whether sales likes you and whether sales feels that you're helping them out in the right way. Um, and so how you will conduct yourself and your goals will be totally different in that organization than a self-serve organization. So I say all that to say, having built a relationship with the founder, your, your next task is to build really strong relationships with leaders of other departments. Louis, I'm sure you're familiar with the really unhealthy scenario in which every department kind of works in a silo, right? So marketing is responsible for these metrics at the top of the funnel. And then product is responsible for these metrics. And then customer success is responsible for these metrics. But in a healthy company, everybody in every department should be working toward the same goal. And so to avoid being stuck in silos, to avoid any potential tense relationships with other department heads, my next step after building a relationship with the founder would be to establish rapport with those other leaders. And what that looks like in real life is first, just... Once you've come on board or it, while you're in the interview process, go out to get coffee or, or lunch or a drink or something with the head of sales and the head of product and the head of engineering, the head of customer success, and ask them about their day. Ask them about what they're working on. What are they responsible for? And, and, and it doesn't have to be a, an interview, right? It's not a, it's not a grilling session. Um, really what you're seeking to do is build empathy with these people and understand what they're worried about, what makes them tick, figure out how you can be of help to them so that in the future, when you're trying to pitch a big marketing project and you need other people's buy-in, you can lean on them, right? Um, so building the relationship with the founder or the CEO would be my first step. And then my immediate step after that would, or maybe in, in tandem, um, would be to build those relationships with other leaders at the company. Um, and then manage those on, on an ongoing basis, right? It's everybody's busy. And so you don't want to, um, you don't want to put too much of a burden on people's calendars or your own, but at least try to establish a bi-weekly or a monthly one-on-one, -on -one, which each of, with each of those, those department leaders. So you can stay in sync about what they're working on, 
they can understand what you're working on. And you can kind of avoid that really unfortunate scenario of accidentally working in a silo where marketing's off over here and then products over there and they launch a new feature and they expect you to have a go-to-market strategy ready by tomorrow. <laughs> what question do you, uh, do you like to ask people when you have this first call or this first meeting with, with other uh, department leaders? Uh, you, you mentioned like you just ask them about their day and whatnot, but are there any other things you like to know? Uh, maybe like out of the blue, I would think something like, you know, what's your view on marketing on, on our marketing department right now? Like, what totally. do you think of marketing as a whole? Like, cause I engineers tend to, and developers tend to think marketing is bullshit, but I know because this is the podcast and I, I receive a lot of emails about this. So what else do you like to, or do you think we should ask when you have those first conversations? What else should we bring up? I think you're right on the money that it's really important to ask, you know, what do you think of our company's marketing right now? What do you think is working well and what's not and why? Um, and I would also be asking things like, what matters to you? What are the metrics you're driving toward? Um, is your department responsible for like an, an, engin an engineering department, for example, or a product team is often responsible for metrics related to output. Like our, our job as the product team is to ship features as quickly as possible. Now, I, I actually, I, personally, I don't believe that's the metric that a product team should be driven by, but that's another podcast episode entirely. Once you have that information as a marketer, then when you're trying to get buy-in on a marketing project, now you know what to leverage, right? Now you know how to pitch it to the product team to say, hey, product team, I think that we should no longer have a website that is custom built that the, that the engineering department is in charge of. I think we should go to Webflow or WordPress or, or some, other, some other platform that the marketing team can manage so that you can be responsible for shipping features and not maintaining a marketing website. I just kind of came up with a random example there, but you'd be shocked. Or maybe those listening would not be shocked, but I am often shocked by how many marketers I speak to who have no control over their company's website. Like that's marketing's territory. <laughs> so I bring that particular example up because I've, I've noticed it to be a challenge. But if you can understand what your fellow, your fellow teammates are responsible for, what metrics they care about, then essentially you can, you can structure what you want to get done in a way that conveys that it's valuable to them. Ultimately, what you're doing is marketing. I mean, you're marketing to your team members, right? The same way you might write copy or, or develop a messaging strategy or choose creative for an advertising campaign based on what you know is going to resonate with your customer. You're doing the same thing, but with your internal team. That's a great start, I would say, yes. And we talked about that. We talk about that on the podcast quite a lot about empathy, empathy for users, empathy for customers, empathy for people, but also requires empathy for, for your own team and team members and colleagues. So to summarize what you said, talking to, to your CEO, founder, understand the context, understand the story, talking to other leaders. And also you said something briefly, but I think super important is use that as an excuse to set up one-to-ones regularly. Like, so you have your first yes. call with them and you say, Hey, you know, I'd love to just ha keep having this chat every month at least. And you just set up a call and it's, it's recurring and all of that. Well, that's all good. Now, what else? Because it sounds like, I mean, that's, the first few days I can do that, but then, you know, the first 90 days are quite important, right? You need to, by the way, we haven't really defined why 
So briefly, maybe you can say, why do we, why do we both feel that the first 90 days as a marketer are, are super critical? Oh, that's right. We, we never defined that, did we? <laughs> so traditionally, and, and I'm sure you're going to say, okay, duh, Claire, but most companies work in quarterly cycles, right? So three months at a time. So you've got your annual, you're typically, not in all cases, but typically a company sets its annual goals and then it, it rolls those, it rolls those back to, okay, what do we need to accomplish each quarter to hit our annual goals? Um, so I like to think of goal setting as a typically 90 day exercise to match quarterly timing. And it, within your company, if, of course, if you operate on a different cycle, then adjust this based on that. I, I, I worked with one team where they actually operate in like six week cycles. Um, they move very, very quickly. But anyway, the point is as someone coming on board, you have so little context and building those relationships is your first, is your first way of, of getting that context. But you have to have something that you are driving toward within those, those first three months that you work there. And it doesn't have to be as ambitious as, okay, I'm going to get us 50 new customers or 100 new customers or whatever the number is. But you need to, at the outset, establish that you are experienced or at least confident in setting a goal and then making a plan to work toward it. So oftentimes in those first 90 days, the first, the first 30 days, right, the first month, you may not focus on, on generating new traffic or, or leads or customers at all. Your first 30 days might very well be focused on things like becoming an expert on the product, right? You might spend your first couple of days doing nothing but using the product to really understand how it works, where the bugs are, what the, cool, like what the most valuable features are. You ideally would be doing customer research. This is, as we spoke about in my, in my last um, episode with you, Louis, this is one of my favorite topics, but I could say this in two ways. If no one at your company has spoken to five to 10 to 15 ideal customers within the past year, then that would absolutely be something that I would do as a new marketing hire within those first 90 days. So would, before, yes, before, we dive in. In, before we dive in into what we will do, uh, the worst case scenario is, is what? If let's say <laughs> you don't reach, you don't match the expectations out there. What, what can happen? I want you to say it out loud. Well, the worst case scenario is there's probably two. One, you get fired. <laughs> two, if you don't have clarity into what other people expect of you, so your, your boss or, or other marketing leaders, then you are completely set up to fail, right? You have no idea what people want you to do. And so you're sitting around waiting for someone to give you assignments, which is a terrible position to be in because then you look like someone who needs to be babysat, someone who needs to be managed. Oh, you start doing, st you start doing stuff. You start taking initiatives, but actually it wasn't exactly what was expected. You might right. have done great in your own measure, in your own objective, but actually, well, that wasn't, uh, what was planned or what was expected. And I'm coming from a very personal experience there where I made this exact mistake and I'm super happy you're mentioning this. If I had to do it again, if I was hired in a new company again, I would set expectations very clearly from the start. And sometimes it, it feels like it's a bit difficult to get those expectations right. So you would talk to the founder and say, you know what, any new customer you bring in, I'd be happy if you do that, you know, or like you'd have fluffy goals like this, like, but you need to dig into the actual core of it. Okay. I'm not happy with just you saying, I, as long as you get new customers, I want to know. How many new customer per quarter 
does it mean? You know, exactly. Yes. You know. Oh my gosh! Yes. So you need to be you need to be able to to set up goals that are specific, measurable, um, that you can achieve. And there's other there's a, an acronym for that. Smart. Yeah. Yeah. So specific, measurable, actionable. What's whatever. R? Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> we so, can find yeah. it. <laughs> so I, I would say after you talk to those two founders, I mean, on the back of that, setting up expectations. And ideally, I would say this is probably something you could do in the interview stage as well. I agree. To set up expectations. But like anything else on top of that, on the expectation side, like any tips apart from like really asking for hardcore real numbers that everyone agrees on? I would, I mean... This isn't a separate thing. I think it's a it's really diving further into what you've described on expectation setting. I would push back if you are unsure whether the expectations are realistic. Realistic, that's the R in SMART. Um, <laughs> so a good example of this is uh, a colleague of mine um, who also, well, Asia Matos, um, she runs a small consultancy called Demand Maven. She was bringing on a new client. Um, a, this is about a year ago. And the client had this massive lead gen expectation. She, she wanted to get thousands and thousands of leads because they had a very, very low lead to customer conversion rate. That ended up being a scenario that was caused by the fact that they didn't quite have product market fit. So they weren't sure who their best customers were. But Asia was under this pressure to generate massive lead numbers. And so she asked the, the, she asked the founder, why? Why do you need thousands and thousands of leads? And one that founder admitted, it's because we don't know who our best customers are, we don't have product market fit, then Asia was able to say, we don't need to focus on getting you thousands of, of leads um, via website traffic. All we need to do is run a much more focused, almost almost like cold sales oriented campaign, not not like spammy, but we just, we just need to get a couple of people in to try the product. And we can do that through our own networks. We can do that in much, much more realistic ways. I say all this to say, if what you're hearing from your founder and, and, uh, or your CEO in terms of expectations doesn't seem to make sense, be comfortable pushing back and saying, hey, I think there's an easier way we could do this. Or, hey, I think there's a cheaper or a more efficient, or I think there's just a better way we could be looking at this. Here's how I would do it. Do you have any thoughts on that? <laughs> I, I just want to repeat the, the acronym that we said. So SMART stands for a Specific, Measurable, Actionable, Realistic, and Time-Based. Right. Mm. So which are the five? And so if you have goals that are like that, that are smart, then you are good to go. Now you also need to make sure that those those this goal are shared amongst the other leaders. You know, so it's not just you being happy with it and your CEO. You need to make sure everyone agrees. Yes, marketing goal is to do that. Right. And honestly, if I'm thinking of the one thing you need to make sure you're doing right beyond all of the other things you mentioned so far, this is probably the most important because I failed multiple times doing this. And it was bad, right? It took me a while to to, re to realize that that was the, the, the thing I didn't do properly. And you start working, burning out because you're working on so many projects that don't have the impact expected. And you're, you're, you, know, you start to doubt yourself. Uh, you start to, to have this uh, imposter syndrome kicking it. And then you, you do shitty work. And it just, mm -hmm. it's just an endless cycle of, of shit. So um, expectations, super important. Then you mentioned two other things I want to dive in into. One of them, I know you're very passionate about, but the other one is super important. Ideally, you should do that before even you, you get into an interview. I'm a big fan of applying for roles with companies where you use the product or the service yourself that you fucking love, not just that you tolerate, but that you love. 
That's probably the best chance, right? But anyway, let's say you start with a company, you haven't really used the product, you don't know it that much. You said spend actually one day, three days, five days, whatever to use it, right? Why did you say that? So (laughs) there's, first of all, you cannot be effective at marketing a product if you don't understand the product or if you don't understand the customers. Um, it's, it's mind blowing how many times I have seen a marketer who's in charge of a product that they don't really, really even know what it does. Um, they know, they know on the surface, like, okay, this is an X, Y, Z tool, but they don't know why it's different than other. They, they're just missing all of that really important context. And so they can't speak intelligently about it. They can't market it competitive competitively against other solutions. Um, so one, it'll make you better at your job. Two, it'll build your credibility within the company, right? That you're someone who's not only thinking about how do I fill the funnel with leads, but it'll build your credibility as someone who's really thinking about the product and the business, um, customer research and why that matters. I almost feel like we should just link back to the jobs to be done <laughs> uh, episode. There is one other thing that I, I wanted to reference, and this comes actually from a forget the funnel workshop that we ran with. Len Markadin, who's the CMO at Podia, um, he gave a really, really great tip that I wish I had done a better job at um, when I was when I was employed in house. Um, and that's once you've set your goals and once you've established what projects you're in charge of and what your priorities are, communicate regularly with your um, with your boss and with the larger company about the progress you're making, but do it in the channels where they already spend their time. Um, so. In that episode, Len uh, talks about this unfortunate scenario in which you might accidentally become like the king or the queen of Trello, right? You you come across Trello and you're like, Trello's great. I'm going to use this to track my projects and I'm going to invite my CEO and, and everyone else and then they can see how I'm doing. Well, if those people never check Trello, they're not going to check Trello to, to measure your progress or see how much great work you've been doing. You need to get really, really comfortable with communicating how you're doing against your goals in the channels your your boss and your your colleagues already hang out in. So that might be email, it might be Slack, whatever your team uses. Just like marketing to customers by choosing the channels where they already spend time, you need to communicate with your internal team members using the channels where they already spend time. Because yeah. otherwise, no one's going to know or care how much great work you're doing. And in fact, that's something you can probably ask when you have those first conversations. What is your preferred way of communication? Like text, to WhatsApp, fucking emails, Slack, Trello, right. <laughs> God, God forbid. Uh, and a lot of stuff that you're saying seems to mirror almost exactly what you should be doing to understand customers as well, which right. I like. And I think it's, again, and I know if you're listening to this podcast, you, you, you do enjoy that. I, I do receive emails about this a lot, which is... It's about principles of marketing. It's not about reinventing the wheel and those new digital trends coming up and making you reinvent everything that you that you knew about marketing. No, it's bullshit. It's always the same, always been the same. As, as you said, it boils down to understand people, whether they're internal customers, it boils down to really understand them so well that you can mm-hmm. fit into their day and not trying expecting them to fit into yours, uh, as you said. So yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that as well. Um, now we can maybe dive in into the understanding customer aspect, but with a caveat. So I did that when I started as a marketer a few times, which is like, you know what? We need to understand our customer. Every time I started, it was always the same thing. Like I knew that 
company didn't really understand their customers, especially not mm-hmm. their most profitable ones. Mm-hmm. But you can go down a rabbit hole of research and you can literally spend your first quarter just doing fucking research and talking right. to people, right? So it's true, though, that if you have a smart goal in place, you need to achieve this goal. So how do you balance the customer research where we can go maybe a bit more detail about what specifically would you do with the getting shit done? How do you coordinate to make sure that you research, but also you get shit done with the highest impact possible and the least amount of resources? I think the the way I would start, especially if you're facing some resistance to pitching research as part of your 90-day plan, I would actually not pitch the research itself. Like, oh, I'm going to go do customer research. The way I would pitch it is based on the based on the business goals that that I, I'm I'm in this scenario. I'm kind of pretending that I'm sitting here with the CEO or the founder, and we're deciding on what those first 90 days should look like. I think the way I would pitch it is by saying, look. You have communicated that this is where the company wants to be by the end of the year. And that means this is where we need to be by the end of next quarter. In order to get there, we need to, we need to better understand whether we are using the right language in our current marketing efforts, right? If we're even using the right words, we need to better understand if we're spending our marketing dollars on the right channels. We need to better understand X, Y, Z. And I would, I would basically list the things that we need to better understand as the stuff I would be looking for in my research that I plan to do. So give me more than X, Y, Z. So you said the messaging. Okay. Messaging. Yes. Channels. Where the, this is, this is, this is like, now I'm playing right into exactly what Hotjar does. Um, but, or, or any, any other tools, but we need to understand why our website is, is performing in the way it is, right? Where are people abandoning? Are things broken? We need to understand there's, let's see, where have I gone? Messaging channels, website performance. I'm trying to kind of work my way through how a customer met experience a company. Once yep. they've signed up, um, we need to make sure we really understand what was going on that led them there, right? Which usually most companies are not tracking and therefore they can't make more informed decisions. Do you have more? I'm trying to, I'm, I've got a, I'm, I'm struggling to prioritize them because my, they feel kind of like they're just like jumping around in my brain. <laughs> yeah. So uh, other things would be, uh, to identify the biggest opportunities, right? Like trying to say, well, you know, I want to have the highest impact possible in the least amount of time. And for that, I need to understand what is the biggest uh, challenge, the biggest problem right now that I can be solving to unlock as much revenue or oh, whatever yes. it is okay. possible, okay. right? So and you to do that, high level. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And to do that, I will absolutely need to spend time with customers. I need to, to uh, audit the sites. I need to, as you said, to mimic the journey. I need to use to experience the journey myself. I need to sit down with salespeople and uh, ask them questions. Uh, you basically need to, to have a rough map of, of what's going on, like the full ecosystem. And then you, you start seeing, okay, this is a big thing that, that might prevent people from, from purchasing mm-hmm. or whatnot, right? But yeah, I, would, I, I agree with you. I would never pitch it as research because that sounds like... Yeah, it doesn't look like a student in a, a doing a, a master's degree or a thesis or whatnot. It's more about, I want to understand where I can have the most impact, you know, so I can prioritize my work and just as a laser-focused marketer. Right. In SaaS Marketer Essentials, which is the training program that Gia and I run under Forget the Funnel, there's a lesson in where we, where we refer to that as essentially like auditing your customer journey, right? So through the research, as you described, Louis, you... You walk through, you kind of pretend to be a customer or you speak with customers to understand their journey 
And then you audit it, right? You, you know, okay, here's the gaps. Here's where people are struggling and we need to help them get to the next stage. Here's where we could optimize each of those different stages, or here's some entirely new things we've never tried before that could be really, really great. Multiple customers mentioned that they listen to this podcast. Why don't we do some, why don't we like do some sponsoring of that podcast? Why don't we do X, Y, Z? Multiple customers mentioned they go to this major conference. Um, why don't we develop a, a campaign around that? Um, so by doing that research, as you said, you never want to pitch it as research. Um, but by doing that research, you can, you can be so much more effective as a marketer. You choose which activities are going to really, as you said, make the biggest impact, um, in that very short window of time. The way I see it is like a Venn diagram. It's like what are currently doing and what are your ideal customers kind of currently doing? And my, mm -hmm. my favorite topic is, I mean, one of my favorite topics where I love to complain about or, or to give out about is this idea that, you know, you should test all channels possible and fucking test your way around all those channels. Like, uh, what's the name of this book? Um, oh, I know what you're traction, talking about. Traction, you know? yeah. And to me, that's always bullshit because if you interview customers well and identify how they made their buying decisions, how did they research about tools or services like yourself in the past? What mm -hmm. made them choose it? What was the trigger? You know what channels they spend time on. So totally. I don't need to fucking guess anymore. If I know that when you do research for to buy a helmet for a bike, most of the research you do is, I don't know, going to trade shows. Well, if you as a company are not going to trade shows right now, this is a big gap. I know, mm -hmm. let's put money into trade shows. Um, so it's just like literally the, the Venn diagram of the intersection of the two. What is currently that you're currently doing that is in line with your ideal customers? And then what is not? And if so, you need to either stop doing it or start doing it, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. So we, I wish we had more time to talk about customer research in detail. And I think you've hinted a bit about specific things you could be doing. But as a new marketer, you only have 90 days. You don't have a lot of time for research. What would be the number one thing you would do when it comes to customer research besides auditing the journey yourself? Okay. I'm going to give the best case scenario and then like the, the plan B, if your best sure. case, if you can't make the best case scenario fly. So the best case scenario would be that you, and I'm sure you'd agree with me on this. Um, you actually get on the phone with 10 of your, your most profitable customers. Right. And when I say most profitable, it's, it's not just most profitable, but also those who get the product instantly. Right. They, they don't require a ton of babysitting. Like they really are your, When, when your sales team or your customer success team thinks of them, they're like, oh yeah, those guys, they're great. If they're in your city or in your, like if, if they're relatively within reach, you'd go visit them. But um, I would at least get on the phone with them for 30 minutes uh, to really just have a conversation. Um, there's a series of questions that I use in particular, which Louis, I'm, I'm happy to send you the link to. It might, they might already be linked from our previous episode. Um, but I would get on the phone with those people um, and record those interviews so that I could refer back to them later. If plan B, if I have to go to plan B and I really, for some strange reason, can't get on the phone with customers, which to me would be a big red flag, by the way, then I would, as a plan B, I would run a survey to my larger customer base. And the survey would essentially be a more scaled, but not as high quality way to, to try to learn some of the same things. So the, the questions that I use when speaking with, with customers, as I just described, are really designed to help me kind of film a mental documentary of, of them going through the customer journey, right? So okay. what they were doing... Go ahead. So you need, to give me, you need to give me the questions now. 
<laughs> okay. Some of them at uh, least. All right. So some of the ones off the top of my head that I can remember are after you've, you know, said hello and introduced yourself, it's like, don't be weird about it. Um, <laughs> are things like, okay, what was going on before, or what, how are you solving the problem that you solve using our tool before you found us? Right. What was your old way of doing this thing? Um, what was going on in your world that compelled you to look for something different? Did the old thing break? Did you just hear about us from a friend? Like what, what happened, right? What was the, what was the moment that made you start looking for something new? Once you figured out one, once you wanted to make that change, how much research did you do to find a new solution? Did you go to, and, and where did you go, right? Did you go to Google? Did you ask friends? Like you said, was it a trade show? Did you hear about it in a Slack community and so on and so on? What were some of the other things you tried? How did you find them, right? Like what I'm really trying to understand here is not how they feel about our product, but notice that I'm, I'm trying to get into the, the process they went through the, to find us. How did our product finally come into the picture? What made you interested in trying it? If it's B2B, were you the only one on your team doing this work? Or did you have to report to a like a head of finance? Did you have to run this by your boss? What did that look like? Um, when you tried us, how did you, how did you know we were the right choice? Like what was, what made you go? Yes, this is, this is what I need. I've got like 20 of these or 25. So I'll have to send you like the full list. It sounds very overwhelming if you're listening to this right now, but basically, as you say, Claire, from experience, what happens is you need to ask one question and then act like a journalist and just bring them along the journey. You don't necessarily need to spell out all the questions that Claire just just say right now, right? You're exactly right. It's it, it's a checkpoint, it, right? You use them as checkpoints, right? Um, these these conversations should not be like rapid fire interrogations. Um, what you're trying to understand, like I think what you described just now, leading them through like a journalist is a is a really really good way of looking at it. Another tip for this for those interviews is like asking a question. Basically, please take me back to the time where you first consider like potentially buying a tool like ours or something like that. Right? So you bring them to the very first touch point. And if you're curious enough, you naturally bring them there. You can use the question that you listed as, as a mental kind of help to make sure. But then what happens as well, and that's a journalist type of uh, tip as well, is what they do is they ask you a question first, you give an answer. Your first answer is always bullshit. There's always something behind and you just drill down again. So you say, mm -hmm. how did you first find out about us? Oh, I think it was Google. Are you sure? Like, did you actually use Google or something else? Like, and actually, yeah, I mean, Google, but before that, I ask a friend. Ah, okay. And so you drill, you drill, you drill until you get to the truth Definitely. of it. Right. Uh, I agree with you. I mean, I'm glad you picked this one thing for customer research because that's what I would do again and uh, over and over again. And it doesn't take that long. You can transcribe those conversations straight away, summarize them, and you should have so much like, gold to deal mm -hmm. with, with only those interviews, you should be able to understand the, the, the gaps, right? Between the channels you currently use, the channels people actually use, the message, the, the way people explain your tool, the way you explain it on your website, etc. You can start seeing the gaps, right? Exactly. And you can use that information to back up your plan, your strategy to other team members, right? You could, because now you've got these transcripts and you can say, based on customer research, it sounds like we need to be spending time in this channel or at this conference or using this, like advertising on this platform, whatever it might be, because this is where our customers are going to find out about tools like ours, right? Suddenly you have, you have 
a leg to stand on, right? You're not just, as you said earlier, you're not just trying random channels. You're not just, you're not just testing without a plan. Um, let's try to summarize what we just said, right? So first, first you said talking to the founders, talking to the team, using the product, uh, setting up expectations, big fucking deal, and finally doing some customer research. And then it seems like, how long do you think that should take? Should it take like 30 days or less to have a sort of a roadmap, a plan for the next two months? Like how, how long do you think is long enough for this type of preliminary research? You know, it's hard to say. And, and the reason that I say that is because I, I get the sense, I mean, it could, it could be so different from, from product to product. A super simple to use product, like a very, very, you know, self-serve uh, B2C style product. You might be a product expert in a day. Like you, you, if it's very limited in feature set, um, if it's like a, if it's like a, a point, uh, if it's not a massive platform, if it's right. a massive platform, it, it could take you a week or two weeks or, or more to really be an expert on the product. Um, and, and same scenario with customers. I would say my, my goal, if I were in that, if, if I were in that situation again, where I had 90 days to, if, if I were planning 90 days out, I would focus my first month on being, on becoming a product and customer expert. Um, so that gives me a couple weeks to really grok the product, really speak to those customers. And during that first week, I'd also be building, I'd, I'd also be setting all those expectations and building relationships with my team members, the founder, setting up one-on-ones with other leaders. Um, so I, I, rough, rough estimate. I think, yeah, we could safely say that should be like a 30 day activity. Awesome. Uh, Claire, thanks so much for playing the game of picking a topic five minutes before an interview and, and doing very well at it. Thanks for, <laughs> for, for doing this. It's a team effort. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any resources to, uh, to mention uh, on this topic? So obviously, forget the funnel. There are a lot of workshops there that are super helpful that should probably help you with this problem. Anything else? So forget the funnel. Absolutely. We launched forget the funnel as a free resource to help people solve this exact challenge. So we can link to that in the show notes. As I mentioned earlier, the interview questions I use, I'm happy to give you the link to as well. And then I briefly mentioned a training program that that Gia and I offer called SaaS Marketer Essentials, which is a more in-depth 12 lesson, I guess, program is the best way to describe it. We have actually just pulled it from being available to being under waitlist version because we want to optimize some of the content, make it a bit more useful. But I can share the link to the waitlist page so that if folks are interested in joining that once we reopen it, then they'll get updated. Sounds good. And Claire, where can people connect with you again or send you emails, ask you questions? So you can reach me anytime at Claire at forgetthefunnel.com. I am happy to chat there. I use Twitter as my virtual water cooler. That's my favorite place to have conversations about things like this. You're so crazy. I'll share a <laughs> That's how we first connected, right? You saw the book and then you no. reach out to me on Twitter and anyway, it doesn't matter. But that's true. But I will offer myself up both via email and, and Twitter. So I'll share those links with you. <laughs> right. Once again, thanks, Claire. Louis, thank you so much for having me. This was a really fun conversation. That's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. And this is the moment where I tell you to subscribe to our email list. So before you leave and go to another podcast or listen to another episode, I don't treat email list uh, the way people usually treat their email list. I really treat that as a, as a one-to-one conversation. So I'm going to send you very short and personal emails every two weeks, I would say, 
We I'll inform you of guests in advance. I'll share with you my numbers and how many listens we get. And I'll also ask you for your feedback in terms of the questions we can ask future guests. And perhaps I can also uh, have you on the show uh, someday. So don't be afraid to subscribe. I'm not going to spam you. And you can always uns unsubscribe for sure if you wish. The second thing we need from you is your harsh and honest feedback. We know that this show is not perfect yet and we always uh, can improve. So you can send us your email at feedback at everyonehatesmarketers.com. Good or bad, please feel free to send me an email. And the last thing I like uh, from you is that if you did like the episode, please share it to your friends, your colleagues, or whoever might like it. And also please review it on iTunes or another service that you might use to listen to your podcast. Because if you leave us a five-star review, it means that more people would be likely to listen and we can spread the word quicker. So thank you so much once again and au revoir. And that's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm super, super grateful. I'd love for you to consider subscribing to my daily newsletter, Monday to Friday, called Stand the Fuck Out Daily. I send very short, hopefully interesting, surprising, shocking, entertaining content to help you stand the fuck out. It's at everyonehatesmarketers.com. You can subscribe for free and obviously unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm just going to read a couple of emails that I got recently as a reply. Juma said, your content attacks the mind primarily, which is such a good thing because most of us are skilled at what we do, but we don't have the courage to do it our way. Mark, who just subscribed a couple uh, days before, said, this is my first issue of your newsletter. Love it. Glad I subscribed. Brianna said, I just realized this morning that my email habit is now to one, skim through the list, two, select all unread industry email except yours, three, delete and don't think twice, four, quickly skim yours. Amy said, also loving the new content that's coming from you. It feels really lovely. Candle said, I like your writing a lot. It really resonates. There's so much bullshit out there. It's good to touch the authentic. And Chloe said, where is the I fucking love this email button? Brilliant. I hope you subscribe. You'll be joining more than 14,000 subscribers at this stage, which is crazy. It's the size of a small stadium. Anyway, thank you so much. See you on the other side.